Well, you guys sound like you're having fun. You're looking forward to today because today is the end of the Lord's Prayer, right? Yeah, you've been looking forward to that for a long time. See, everybody's looking forward to it. Uh, You know, when he says something God did good for you, I figure if I get up in the morning and am able to take nourishment any day, God has done something good for me. So, uh, just before we begin, uh, I'm sure you've heard the news about an earthquake in Nepal, and um, it was very severe, not because it was so high on the Richter scale, it was seven plus on the Richter scale, but because it was a shallow quake. Um, It went into India, it... um, it has reached as far as uh, Pakistan and damage and in Pakistan and hundreds of people dead. And uh, as of this morning, I haven't heard in the last couple of hours, but uh, three Americans dead. Uh, temples that have stood for hundreds of years are now demolished and uh, thousands and thousands of people out of their homes and Uh, We've had two young women there. Remember, uh, 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 last year I told you about Sarah Snodgrass. Remember the knock-knock joke? And and, uh, she is in Nepal. And uh, uh, we got a message yesterday that she is well. Uh, And then Melissa White is in northern India. uh, And that has been seriously affected, but we learned from Whites this morning that that she is well. So our two girls are okay, but it would be good for us uh, to pray for the Nepalese people and what's going on there. So let's bow together and pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful today for your greatness, your majesty, your glory. And we know, Father, that there's lots of things that happen in the world that man doesn't have any control over. Um, We realize that here again, a great earthquake has struck the earth, and many thousands of people have been affected, hundreds already dead, hundreds more injured, and I'm sure those numbers will rise as the next couple of days go. Thank you today that these two young women that we know and love involved in ministry, that they are well and safe. And we pray that you will continue to keep them well and safe. We pray, Father, for the people of Nepal, especially surrounding areas Uh, We know, Father, that these are hard things to cope with. Um, Earthquakes are difficult. And uh, we pray, Father, that you will minister to those people. Certainly, the sharing of the gospel would bring glory to your name. And this may be a perfect opportunity for the gospel to become more clear than it has been 
in the past in many of these areas. So, Father, we ask you to meet the needs of people, yes, physically, uh, materially. They need food and water and all of these other things. But above all, they need the gospel. And we pray, Father, that this will present a new and fresh opportunity for that to happen. Ease their suffering as well as possible and enable them, Father, to, uh, to get back up on their feet. Thank you today for your glory. It is a complicated subject. Help us to come to understand it a little bit better, and we'll thank you today for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the Lord's Prayer, and we have been talking about this for many weeks. We are talking about the Prayer of Blessing, Part 3. And um, we are in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. That passage of Scripture, uh, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We've pointed out that that is in not, that's not in some of our manuscripts, and so some of your texts won't have that phrase in there. Uh, but that, uh, that passage becomes important because it's lifted sort of out of First Chronicles, and it is a, a great concept. And because it's in s- some of our Bibles, I'm, I'm preaching it. So we talked about the fact that God blesses people who seek his kingdom first. That was the first point in these last three sermons. And we gave you five things on that with an acrostic. First was finances, and then came interests, and then came relationships, and then came our schedules, and then came trouble. In all of those five areas, we need to be putting God first in our lives. And the second thing that we said was that God blesses people who depend on his power. And in that context, we have said two important things. Um, uh, Prior to that, we said, you know, depending on God's power is a matter of faith. We have to use our faith to depend on God's power. And what happens there is that you develop your faith by taking risks to grow and obey God. Now, I kind of preached that pretty hard last week, and, and five of our people came to me and said, you know, I think God may be asking me to take a risk. And I spent detailed time this week with two of them. One has already jumped, and, uh, uh, and the result is, is that God is working in our lives. Little did I know that I would preach that on Sunday and on Monday night I would be sitting watching the news and my phone would ring and God would ask Carolyn and me to take a new step. Uh, You know, we live on this property up in North Idaho. I've shown you pictures of it. It's 30 acres on the St. Mary's River. It's pristine. It's uh, got a view from our front deck about about 20 miles down to the foothills of the Bitterroot Mountain Range. We are at about 3,500 feet. And uh, a year or so ago, Carolyn and I were kind of scratching our heads 
thinking, boy, we are doing this ministry. And, and, and I want you to know, I love this ministry. I love what I do. I have come to love you people. Uh, many years ago, God put a fire in my belly uh, to preach and to minister to God's people. And uh, when I had to retire in 2006, I thought I was going up to our hill to die. God, God had a lot of work to do on me. Uh, Parkinson's, a heart attack, cancer, joint replacements. And once I started getting those bionic parts, God started saying, maybe I can use you again. And so, uh, so we're, we're not on that place up there a lot of the time. And lo and behold, a good friend of many years calls me Monday night and says, how do you feel about place? And so we are just taking early steps. We have no expectations. We're not losing any sleep over this. But it's a perfect illustration to you to how God sometimes opens up ways for us to trust him. Because I don't know what he's going to do here. We're just waiting to see what God is going to do. Uh, so I told Carolyn, get used to the trailer. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, we, 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 would surely, we would surely purchase someplace else. So taking risks to grow your faith in obedience to God <coughs> is the way that you depend on the power of God. The second thing was faith grows by not giving up when discouraged and afraid. Some, and remember, we had you write things down. Some of you wrote a list, and, and I've seen some of those lists. And God is working in a lot of our lives here, and he wants to move us forward. And some of you are saying, I can't give up on this child. I can't give up on this grandchild. I can't give up on this marriage. I can't give up on this job. And there may be multitudes of other things. Now, the third part of that aspect is that God blesses people who live for his glory. God blesses people who live for his glory. Now, the glory of God is a difficult subject. It's a complicated subject. And I can't unravel it completely for you today. It's an entire seminary course. But I would like to unravel it a little bit for you today because living for God's glory becomes an important aspect in every one of our lives. See, the word glory in the New Testament is doxa. Doxa. Its primary significance is an opinion or an estimation, an estimate of someone or something. And hence, the honoring result is that, is that of a good opinion. So if I say, I honor uh, Jeremy, it's because I have a good opinion of Jeremy. It's what makes me honor him. So the glory of God is sometimes referred to as the reputation of God. How do people see God? Is he honored? Is he, uh, is he looked up to? Uh, what is the opinion? Uh, what is the estimation 
of God. And so this becomes the process that we want to look at a little bit today. Now, uh, I want to look at, first of all, um, God's glory and how it is shown. I can't, there are hundreds of ways in the scriptures as to how God's glory is shown. And obviously, I cannot cover them all. But today, I would like to cover a few of them. So if you'll follow with me just a little bit, the, the text, the actual text, is not on your outline, but it is on the screen. So the first way that God's glory is shown is in the character and the acts of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we go to John 1.14 for that. You know that verse very well, that, and the word became flesh, circle the word became. It literally means he took upon himself. That means Jesus did it voluntarily. God did, God the Father did not twist the arm of God the Son to come to earth and become a man and die for you and me. He did it voluntarily. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Circle the word dwelt. It is a word that you've heard preachers say that Jesus came and tented in our midst or tabernacled in our midst. And the reason for that is the Greek word that is used here is skenao, skenao. Now, why is that word important? It's important because in the old, the old Testament was translated into Greek at a point in time. We call that the Septuagint. And sometimes when I'm not understanding a Hebrew passage, I go to the Septuagint and read it in Greek, and I get a better understanding sometimes. Every time you find the word skenao in the Septuagint, it is a translation of the Hebrew word for tabernacle. And what was the tabernacle? It was the presence of the glory of God among Israel. And so when it says that Jesus came and tabernacled in our midst, that he came among men and tabernacled among us. It means that the very glory of God came into our midst. Do you realize that once Jesus was born, maybe perhaps from his conception, that the Holy of Holies in the temple was no longer necessary because the glory of God was with us in a different form. It came in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why at a point in time, the curtain, this massive, thick curtain, had to be torn from the top down because there was new glory on earth. And now that we don't no longer need a priest or a curtain to go behind in order to experience the glory of God. We get that through the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he came and tabernacled, brought the glory to earth for us, among us, and we beheld his glory. See that? We beheld that glory, the deity of Christ, uh, uh, the divine presence in our midst, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, the Shekinah glory, we refer to that, 
in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory was either a cloud or a pillar of fire. And this Shekinah glory is what is referred to. This is what Jesus, this is what Jesus brought to earth into our midst. The very glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, in his very nature and his character and his acts, show forth the glory of God. The second way it is shown is in the resurrection of Lazarus. Uh, I want to show you John chapter 11, verse 4, and a piece of John eleven forty. It says this, But when Jesus heard this, he heard, remember, Lazarus is sick. Your friend Lazarus is sick. He said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. This sickness is for the purpose of heightening our estimation of who God is, of heightening the reputation of God for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. In other words, the Son of God is now going to show forth his deity by this incredible act of raising a dead man. And the glory of the Father and the glory of the Son is going to be shown through it. And, and then in verse 40, Jesus is talking to uh, Lazarus' sister, and he says to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And that glory was shown when Jesus stood at a distance and said, Lazarus, come forth. And this dead man walked out of the tomb. Next, the, the glory of God is shown in the resurrection of Christ himself. And I want to talk about this just a little bit from Romans chapter 6, verse 4. You know this passage. That therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. Now let me pause there just a moment. Uh, when you do, we, we have two ordinances in uh, evangelical Christianity. Um, um, they are the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Table, and baptism. Both of them give a complete picture of our salvation. When we go to the communion table and we take the bread, we are showing the broken body. We are symbolizing the broken body of Jesus. When we take the cup, we are symbolizing the shed blood of Jesus. And you know we can't get saved without trusting in his death for our salvation. But I want to point out to you that we cannot get saved without trusting in his resurrection either. We've got to believe in the resurrection. Paul makes that very clear in the first part of 1 Corinthians 15. That part of the gospel is that on the third day he raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. And so when he says here, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into his death, that's why we immerse people. We don't sprinkle them. We don't pour water on them. We put them underwater because Jesus was fully in the grave. Besides the fact the word immerse, uh, baptizo in Greek, means to immerse underwater. 
It doesn't mean anything else. So when we baptize people, we are showing the second part of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's why he says we are raised to newness of life uh, through his death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. Now I want to pause there just a moment because I want you to see the glory of the Father here becomes the means of the resurrection of Jesus. The glory of the Father becomes the power behind the resurrection of Jesus. What an incredible concept. That's why I say when you're going to study the glory of God, you are talking about a highly complicated subject. So the glory of God was the power behind the resurrection of Jesus. The glory of the Father. So we too walk in newness of life. So in the resurrection of Jesus, the glory of the Father is shown. It is shown in his ascension and exalt, uh, exaltation in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, who through him are believers in God. So through Christ, we are the believers in God. We are redeemed. Who raised him, God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, the, the ascension and, and the, uh, all the rest that came with that, the exaltation of Jesus, so that your faith and hope are in God. And then finally, the glory of God is shown on the Mount of Transfiguration. Very interesting here. From Second Peter chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For when he received honor and glory. See, those two go together. We honor him because we have a high view of him. We have a high opinion of him. So there is honor, and what comes with that is glory, honor and glory from God the Father. Such an utterance as this was made to him by, circle the words, the majestic glory. The majestic glory. What an incredible concept. Here, the glory of God is personified, and the glory of God is speaking. And I want you to see that this word is a form from the Greek word megaprepo. Megaprepo. Now, years ago, uh, we were over in eastern Oregon in a campsite, and we went into Joseph, Oregon, and got some ice cream. And I said to my son, uh, son, how's your ice cream? He said, Dad, it's awesome. So see, in our day, ice cream can be awesome. Uh, a song can be awesome. Uh, whenever you see at the beginning of a Greek word, mega, mega, in the first century Greek, that is extremely significant. That's why it's translated majestic glory. It's not just any kind of glory. 
It is glory higher than any other glory. The majestic glory of God. Do you realize that you sit in the presence of the majestic glory of God? Incredible concept. It means befitting or becoming. And it means mega befitting or becoming. It means magnificent, glorious, splendid. So that's how some of the ways that the glory of God is shown. So how does it relate to us? What does it do for us? Uh, what's our part in this glory? And there again, there's hundreds of things, hundreds of ways that we can bring glory to God. I want to just deal with a few of them. Here's the first one. We show God's glory through good works. We show God's glory through good works. Let your light shine, Jesus said in Matthew 6. And the reason I like the Sermon on the Mount and the reason we're going to delve into the Sermon on the Mount in a fuller way is because it takes our Christianity out of the doing into the being. And you cannot really do until you are. And that becomes the importance of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, So Jesus says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your what? Your good works. And what does that do? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now we're going to talk about that in a little more depth in a few minutes. The second way we deal with the glory of God is we glorify God by being thankful and not acting like a fool. Now, I know that's harsh language, uh, but it's biblical language. So if you'll hang on with me just a moment. Uh, From Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, the Apostle Paul says, For even though they knew God, they knew God, there was no question in their mind that there was a God. They looked at the sky, they looked at everything around them, natural creation, and they said, there must be a God. Too bad we can't do that today. But, but they knew God. They did not honor him as God. They did not glorify him as God. They didn't give him his rightful place. They didn't hold him up. His reputation was meaningless to them. They did not glorify him as God. Or did they give thanks? By the way, it's very important that we be thankful. Um, Carolyn and I, during the Alaskan earthquake in 1964, made up our minds that our marriage would be based on thanksgiving to God. That when we prayed, the first thing that would come out of our mouths is a word of thanksgiving. Um, So thanksgiving is very important. But they became futile. This word is the only place in any Greek literature that we can find where this word appears. It's a true hopox legomena. And this word means that they became vain. This refers to religious error. They made themselves perverted. They chose to be perverted. They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. And if you want to be a fool, here's how you do that. Professing to be wise, they became fools. So when you think you know it all, 
you're a fool. Here's the next way. We glorify God in our body. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. The next way. We glorify God in our suffering. And I want you to see a a comparison that the Apostle Paul makes here. He makes a contrast. He says, first of all, you glorify God when you suffer for Christ. That's why he says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but in our world today, and even in America, there is persecution against Christianity. And we are seeing it uh, on the news all of the time. But when we are suffering for Christ, it is because the spirit of glory rests upon us. Then he contrasts that. And he says, now here's where the spirit of glory doesn't show up. But by no means let any of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. Circle the words troublesome meddler. Very interesting word. It's a compound word made up of two words. The first word is a loss. And it means... um, It means another or other. It means uh, uh, someone else. And the second word is episkopos. Episkopos. Now this word is translated in the Bible regularly. Elder or overseer. We have five of those in this church. Uh, Elder, uh, episkopos, and presbyteros. Episkopos is the word that we get episcopal from. A presbyteros is the word we get Presbyterian from. And the episcopos, part of the elder, is supposed to be the one that watches over the flock. The one who pays attention to what's going on in the flock. The one who's making sure false teaching is not happening in the church. And the episcopos is the one who watches over the flock. And in this case, it's very negative. Somebody watching over other people and becoming a, uh, a busybody as a result. And that's why it's translated for us, troublesome meddler. And then he says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but in the name, in that name, let him glorify God. So when these people in Egypt on the beach, these these caustic Christians had their heads lopped off for the world to see, the glory of God was upon them. And they lifted the reputation of God worldwide. So the glory of God is seen So what does that mean to us? How does that affect us? How do we deal with it on a day-to-day basis? The first thing you have to understand is that uh, we have to decide in life who's going to get the credit. 
See, if I'm going to get up and I'm going to say, boy, I preached a good sermon, uh, uh, or the other option is for me to say, you know, God allowed me to preach a good sermon. Uh, God gave me the energy and the ability to preach a good sermon. We have to decide who's going to get the credit. And when we give God the credit for everything that takes place in our lives, then God gets glorified because the estimate of God in us goes up. In Psalm 115, verse 11, it says, He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small and the great. Uh, In other words, God will bless everyone who honors him. Let me explain to you that your job and my job is to honor God. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, he said, whatever you do in word or deed, do unto the Lord so that you may glorify God and honor him. I think we have come to the place where we think the only place we worship is in here. I think we have come to the place where we might even think the only place we actually worship is when we're standing singing songs. Do you realize that you are in the presence of the majestic glory every single minute of your life? Whatever you do in word or in deed, that's got to lift up the reputation of God. That blows me away. I may come in and I may get emotional and I may bow down, I may lift up my hands, and that is all good, but I've got to have that all of the time. Now, I may be doing my business and I may be working at other things, but they have to be done in such a way that God is glorified in the process. So how do I do that? I'm going to give you just two things. Here's the first one. How do you and I live for God's glory? The first one is by using your abilities to help other believers. Using your abilities to help other believers. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, says this. Let each one, I'm sorry, as each one has received a special gift. Now that's probably talking about spiritual gifts that are listed in Romans and 1 Corinthians, and uh, as each one has received a special gift, and I believe it's possible for a person to have more than one spiritual gift, not just one, employ it in serving one another. Circle the word serving. It's the verb form of diakonos. It's diakoneo. It's the word we have in the Bible for deacon. In one place, there's an office of deacon in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. But the word otherwise is used purely as a servant. That's what it means to be a servant. A deacon is a servant. Serving one another as good stewards 
of the manifest grace of God. Circle the words good stewards. You know what that means? That means God has given you and me gifts. And the purpose for those gifts is to serve each other. And when he says we are good, to be good stewards, that means you and I are the managers. You and I are the trustees of those gifts. So whether they get used or not is up to me. So if you're wondering what's your spiritual gift, I want to tell you, Pastor Tom is going to tell you, uh, if you go to his class, it's the first hour. I tried to excuse some of those people. Nobody got up and left. Um, and so, uh, but it's 9 o'clock Sunday morning in W4, and he will help you discover what your spiritual gift is. Now, I don't think you have to know what your spiritual gift is, but I think you have to be using it. It's easier to use it if you know, but, but the fact is God wants us to be ministering to each other. So he says, manifold grace of God, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, it says, the gracious man, I'm sorry, the generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. In other words, I want you to see that the way you serve God is to serve other people. You want to serve God? Find a way to serve other people. I want you to understand, you are wired. If you are here this morning and you are a Christian, you are wired to make a contribution. God made you that way. You are wired to make a contribution. And your abilities were not given to you so that you could make a lot of money or just be cool. Your abilities were given to you so that other people would benefit from those abilities. And my abilities were given to me, not so that I benefit, but so other people will benefit from those abilities. So the result is we serve God by serving other people. In Romans chapter 15, verse 7, Paul said, Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. So as we come together and we serve each other and we accept each other, God gets glorified. See, when you help other people, God gets glorified. The more you bless and help others, the more God blesses and helps you. Now, folks, this is not rocket science. It's a good thing it's not math, because I wouldn't get it if it was math. But it is not rocket science. If I want God to bless me, all I have to do is serve other people. It's really as simple as that. And let me give you one more very important piece of information. 
You don't have to have super talents to be used by God. You don't have to have a seminary education. You don't have to have a Bible school education. What you have to do, do is be available and be willing. Just last night, we took off of Facebook a statement that a woman put on there that we led to Christ as a teenager years and years ago. So she's no teenager anymore. She's teaching uh, young people in a church. And she made this statement. I wrote it in my Bible. God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. I want you to understand that. God says, you be willing to serve me, and I will give you everything you need to be able to accomplish the task I call you to. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Here's the last thing. I'm going to quit here in a minute. I promise. Uh, the first way we glorify God is by using our abilities to help others. The second way is by sharing the good news with unbelievers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this, For all things are for your sakes. When he says all things, he's talking about his suffering and the preaching of the gospel. All things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people, the gospel is getting out, Paul says, to more and more people, may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. The more the gospel gets out, the more God gets glorified. The Living Bible puts it this way. The more who are one to Christ, the more the Lord is glorified. Did you know that there are blessings that the Bible promises to those who share the good news. So you and I, I, I want you to get these words in your mind. And by the way, uh, we have a class for that starting on the 3rd of May over in the same room, W4. It's going to be taught by uh, Nate, Nate Glass. Nate, are you here? Nate is going to teach that class. And uh, it's going to be about how to share your gospel and how to share your, your faith in, a non, uh, in an undifficult way. I want you to get these words. Neighbor, friend, relative. Neighbor, friend, relative. Say it with me. Neighbor, friend, relative. Oh, you can do better than that. Neighbor, friend, relative. See, God calls lots of people to go to lots of places to share the gospel with hundreds of people they don't know. But you know where God has called you and me? To Corvallis, Oregon. You know what's in Corvallis, Oregon? Neighbors, friends, and relatives. Neighbors, friends, and relatives. When I started this at Gateway Baptist Church, I preached every sermon for a year, and not one sermon was preached without those words coming out. Neighbors, friends, and relatives. Share with your neighbors, friends, and relatives. So Paul is saying that we get blessings. He says, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. 
and I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may become a fellow partaker in it. And what he means there, I want to get the blessing. Some of your translations will even put blessing in there. It's a, it's a compound Greek word, which means with participation in blessing. God wants us to be blessed because we share the gospel. So, I want to say this to you. If you want to be blessed, you have to be blessable. And how do you become blessable? You become blessable by living for God's kingdom. <clears throat> you become blessable by living under God's power. <clears throat> you become blessable by living for God's glory. And my friends, <clears throat> it comes down to this. It comes down to this from the Gospel of John. It comes down verse thir- chapter 13 verse 17. (coughs) Now that you know these things, (coughs) you are blessed if you do them. I'm all right. Don't worry about me. Peter Forsyth said this, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. And I can tell you from personal experience (coughs) and from the experience of hundreds of other people that I've worked with over the years that it is a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do no matter how hard it is than to bear the responsibilities and consequences of not doing it. A young woman said to me one day, She made a bad decision. And she said, years and years later, she said, I knew I would bear the consequences of my decision. She said, what I didn't know is that my children would also bear the consequences of my decision. So I guess what I'm saying to you today is be blessed. Live by the kingdom of God. Live under his power. Live for his glory. I, I botched. I, 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 an idea came to me this week, and I said it to someone. I came back, and I wrote it and wrote it and wrote it and finally refined it, and this is what I came up with. It is this. It is not the importance of the thing but the majesty of the master that is to be the standard of obedience. I want you to understand that. 
There are lots of good things. There are lots of good things to do and be done. But no matter how good or important they are, they are not the reason to do them. The reason to do them is the majesty of the Master. And maybe he's saying to you today, as you go to communion, maybe he's saying to you, you know, there's something about the kingdom. There's something about the power. There's something about God's glory that's not matching up in my life. You're going to sing in just a moment, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. The only way to get that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you want to bless us. Cause us, Father, to want the blessing. Cause us to become blessable. We've talked, Father, about the significance of this communion. So maybe in these moments, Father, as we pause to examine ourselves, there's something you want to say to us. And we ask you, Father, to give us the wisdom and the courage to answer in obedience. Not because of the importance of the thing, but because of the majesty of the Master. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.